Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Right on, I'm here with Casey McAllister. Man, I am so excited. You look like you're freezing cold. It's pretty cold here. We finally uh, dropped into the uh, freezing digits uh, pretty quick, like. Yeah, Arizona's still rock. I-, I did get up and go to the gym this morning at about 45, so I get it. So, man, hey, thank you for responding to my message to interview you because I feel like there is a direct correlation between what you got going on in your life and what I have going on in my life about addiction recovery. You are Casey McAllister. People can find you at riseupwithcasey.com. Am I right on that? Yeah, so Rise Up is kind of my thing. You know, Rise Up with Casey, that gets you on my Instagram, my Facebook. Heck, I even made it the title of my book. So uh, you just look up "Rise Up with Casey" and you'll you'll find me. Yeah. So this so this morning I um uh, and actually last night for a family activity we turned on your video to show our two daughters. Okay, and, and which was really cool because you know I'm hoarding all this information from people. I'm like I gotta let people know about this Casey guy. Casey, <laughs> for all of you that do not know, is a double amputee. Okay, can you explain what that means? Well, so double amputee, obviously double. Um, I lost two legs. I, I don't have any legs. In fact, it's it's pretty high up. Even even most of the amputees you see wear prosthetic legs, but my amputation is so high up that it's a lot easier for me to just get around in a wheelchair rather than uh, wearing uh, the, the legs. So I don't get to be a Blade Runner. I'm a I'm more of the wheelchair racer guy. <laughs> All right. Okay. I got you. I love that. So I know just from watching this video, and I am I want to push everybody to this video because I'm telling you what, man, after I watched that video, I was ready to go fight Conor McGregor. <laughs> Seriously, it is motivational, man. It is super cool. So one of the takeaways, but I'd like you to tell a little bit what happened so people understand, but so you were six years old when this happened. Yeah, so now I grew up in a, a small little town in Wyoming, Kemmer, Wyoming. Most of you probably never, ever heard of it. It's tiny, you blink and it's gone. And so I grew up in a small town and we went to uh, visit my uncle. He lived in a, another small town. He was going on a mission trip. And so we went down to visit him, you know, say goodbye. He was going to be gone for a couple of years. And uh, after all the church meetings and whatnot were over, we're standing on the edge of this road. Now, just like any small town, it's a highway, <laughs> a divided highway running through the middle of town. And so cars, you know, went quite fast. Well, we're standing there waiting to cross. And my mom and dad were right there. And they said, okay, Casey, there's two cars coming and a truck. Well, as a little six-year-old boy, I heard the two cars. That's what I heard about. And so as soon as those two cars went by, I ran. I mean, my brother was on the other side. My cousins were over there. That's where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be stuck with the, my parents who wouldn't stop talking. You know, I wanted to go play. And uh, so you've been stubborn the, since you were six years old. <laughs> oh, I'm a redhead through and through. That, that red hair comes by me naturally. <laughs> okay. And so I, I ran. I didn't see, didn't hear anything about the truck. But this truck was a, wasn't just a pickup truck. It was a semi-truck. And so I ran right in front of the semi-truck and at the last second tried to dive out of the way. But unfortunately, the truck grabbed my leg 
and, and pulled me up under and through the wheels uh, of that 18 wheeler. And after the truck stopped, you know, my dad came over and they pretty soon rushed me to the hospital. They had to actually fly me to Salt Lake City to a children's hospital before they could ever really start working on it. And luckily, I don't remember much of it. I remember getting out of the helicopter on top of the children's hospital, but that's about it. Luckily, I don't remember the pain of that at all. Okay, so you tell the story so eloquently, but there's so many people wanting to know, hold on, let's back up to when you're on the corner of the street, right? So you're a stubborn little kid, you wanna race the car. You didn't just get hit by a truck, it was a petroleum truck, correct? Oh yeah, it, it was, so there in Utah, they were doing a bunch of oil, oil mining, and uh, that's what it was, those trucks were running night and day, and uh, that's what hit me, it was, it was hauling a bunch of oil. So you dove and it caught your legs, and so when you said, when, when your dad picked you up, one leg was completely severed. One, one leg was complete, the left leg, uh, was completely severed. I have about a little, you know, six inch stub on the end right now. And my right leg was broken in seven places, you know, just kind of hanging by a strip of flesh. It was, it was uh, pretty bad for that other side too. So you went up into the wheel well and then got shot out. Yeah, they, they actually found that leg that got torn off wedged between the wheels of the semi truck. So it wasn't just that the truck ran over me. I went through literally through the wheels of those that, that truck up between all of that. Okay, how did dad respond to this? My dad's amazing. He, uh, from all, from everything I've heard, he was just about as cool as a cucumber as they come. I mean, uh, he ran over, he held me, he uh, talked to me about what I wanted for Christmas. You know, I mean, all my uncles and everybody else was, was kind of freaking out, but my dad didn't lose it right then. He knew he knew there was more important things than uh, his own psyche right there. And he, he took care of business. He, he was a rock. He, he was amazing. He, in fact, my uncle was freaking out. So he told my, my uncle to go look for the leg because they hadn't found it yet. So he, he was awesome, helped me and, and uh, talked to me until the ambulance came. And he was the one to, to take me to the hospital. I don't mean to be a turd about this, but was the le- did the uncle find the leg? No, he was he was looking on the road. He didn't look underneath the semi. So it was the the state troopers that were uh, investigating the scene that that ended up finding the leg. Okay, so they fly you out. You spent some time in the Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. One of the things I got from the video that I really like, man, and that I want to talk about is number one, your mom is a rock star. My my mom is amazing, and and just a few little things that happened during this whole time. One of the things which I don't share a lot, but but when my uncle came, flew in from Washington and went and talked to her, she's like, you know, it's okay. I'm I'm super lucky to get to raise this kid because he's going to be all right. I mean, that was her attitude, which is just insane. I mean, that was hours after it happened. But as I was leaving the hospital, the doctors told my parents, told my mom, don't do things for him. And you know what? She took that to heart. I mean, she made sure that I was going to do anything and everything that any other kid was going to do. She she made sure I was playing sports, doing chores. I mean, imagine a little kid just lost his leg and now he's he's got to do chores. So she made sure I was I knew how to do my laundry on my own, vacuum the house, mow the lawn, whatever needed done. My mom made sure that I had the freedom to later in life be able to do what I wanted to do. 
In fact, she even made me wear prosthetic legs, which as I said before, I hated them. They, they didn't work well. They pinched, they were uncomfortable. They didn't make me feel free. They, they made me feel like I was in a jail cell, but she still made me wear them because she knew that the pain I went through now and the discomfort I went through now would give me the freedom. Now I don't wear them, but she knew that I needed to have the choice. And I did. I had the choice to wear them or as they are now stored in my attic. <laughs> yeah. So Casey, what was the hardest new chore to relearn? Oh, the hardest new chore, you know, mowing the lawn was, it took me a little while to figure that out. Obviously, the, as a six-year-old, I didn't do that. But later on in life, you know, I was supposed to mow the lawn and we, we didn't have a fancy riding lawn mower. We just had a push mower. And so I had to figure out, luckily, the front wheels turned. So I was able to wedge my chair under there and start it and and let the little front wheels kind of pull me around the yard. Man, did you ever just get frustrated and said, this is stupid, this sucks? Oh, I'm sure there was definitely times like that. I'm definitely with the prosthetic legs because I hated them. Not not too often. I do that now as an adult more than I did as a kid. Well, probably because I have five kids and <laughs> raising kids is is hard. But you know what? I was pretty stubborn. Um, one, one of the things that came up repeatedly, and this is my dad more than my mom, but when I would say something along the lines of, you know, I can't, I can't do it. My dad would say the stupid line. He would say, can't, never did anything, won't, never will. And I thought that was ridiculous. I was like, you got to be joking me. That doesn't make sense, Dad. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I understand what he means now. Now and you throw that time, out. And at the time, I didn't, but I understood what it meant. It meant you're not going to use not having legs as an excuse. You're going to find a way to do it. And so pretty soon, it didn't take me long to realize that whining and using my amputation as an excuse just wasn't going to fly. And so instead, I had to buckle down with that redheaded determination and figure out a way to do stuff. So that was at home. How about at school? Did anybody ever like, did you ever kind of milk it at school? As much <laughs> as I possibly could. I was a little kid. I mean, I was six years old. And and they, they were uh, a lot, I don't know, nicer, but they were a lot more considerate or whatever of a double amputee. And so, yeah, I, I'm sure I tried to milk it at school a little bit, but that was until my mom got involved at school <laughs> and no more excuses after that. <laughs> so no codependency in that home at all. No, absolutely not. They made sure I was going to be able to do whatever I wanted to do with my life. I mean, sure, they were great parents. They helped me figure out how to do stuff. But more often than not, all they did was give me the tools to succeed on my own. I started playing baseball months after I got home or months after the accident. I mean, I was still six years old and I started playing baseball. And that first year, my dad pushed me around the bases, so it wasn't as hard. But that next year, I got out of my wheelchair and I had to figure out how to do it. I mean, hitting the ball was fine, but getting on base was a challenge because I was slow. I mean, I was running on my hands and my butt. And, uh, and so I figured out all on my own that I needed to figure out how to hit left-handed. So I had to totally relearn how to hit the ball because the base was like that much closer. <laughs> and I don't know if that helped me at all, but it showed that I was willing to learn and to learn something difficult, like how to hit left-handed, just to increase my chances of doing well in whatever I chose. Man, so when did you find out you were an athlete? 
Well, I mean, I remember growing up in the time where the Olympics and, and those Olympic athletes were just coolest. I mean, that was the most amazing thing for us to watch was the Olympics. And not only that, we grew up in the era, Michael Jordan, the dream team, Scottie Pippen, the Bulls, you know. And so all these fabulous athletes where it didn't seem impossible. It, it seemed like any kid with enough work and determination could become an amazing athlete. And that's the household we grew up in. All of us wanted to do sports all the time. We were always outside. We were always competing and, well, even fighting with each other. And so I knew. Well, in Wyoming, I wanted to be a bronc rider, but <laughs> pretty soon after the accident, I was like, oh, I'll focus on something else. But I knew just couldn't hold on, right? Because it was just logistically <laughs> almost impossible. I Yeah, I, I still haven't figured out the right way to do it. <laughs> I can ride horses, but uh, as far as broncos go, well, and one horse I was on did decide to buck me off. So I still haven't figured that one out yet. But uh, I decided that I was still going to be an athlete. And as far as my determination goes, I wanted to be the best athlete. So I kept looking and finding different sports. And eventually I latched on to wrestling. Um, my first year wasn't great. But what was amazing about wrestling is it was hard. But I got better. And every year I kept going better and better until I eventually uh, made it to the state finals my senior year. And that to me proved it didn't matter. It didn't matter legs, no legs, you know, whatever. I was going to be the best athlete I could possibly be. Okay, so I wrestled as well, all right? How did you maintain, because I got, I mean, logistically, I got to know this, man. How did you maintain the balance? right? Because you, everything's a shoot. Everything's based on body weight, positioning. How did you, how did you make it to state? Uh, a lot of work. Um, a lot of figuring out what, how, what to work. And honestly, it, it, it was years. I mean, I remember as a sophomore, uh, hey, my, you know, hey coach, come help me. I don't know how to do this move. And he got down on his knees and he's like, boom. And he's like, that's how you do it. I'm like, you're on your knees. And he kind of nodded at me. He's like, you're right. Figure it out. Oh, man. <laughs> and so, I mean, and this coach is amazing. He's now winning state championships. He's a great coach. But no coach knows how to coach a guy without legs unless you've done it before. And so I had to teach myself. I had to train my own way. I had to make sure that I knew how and why and how to win. Um, balance was horrible. And so I had to use my arm strength. I mean, I was wrestling at 103 pounds. Yeah. So I had a I had the advantage in strength, but I had to figure out how that strength was going to overcome that leverage disadvantage. Okay, so what was your move? What was your go-to? <laughs> cradle. Cradle all day long. In fact, every other move was just a lead up to a cradle. I was shooting Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I would go ball and chain, and then I'd start in on the cradle, or I'd go half to start in on the cradle. Um, it was rare that I'd use anything else because I just became so good at all the different types of cradle. That's awesome, man. So it sounds like nobody, nobody allowed you to get away with anything. Like there was no codependency, even with your coaches. How about like your siblings? <laughs> that was uh, the least. Well, I had a sister who who uh, babied me a little bit because she was just a really nice person, and she she did. But uh, no, I mean, I have an older brother who still to this day we're always competing, always trying to one up each other, and that started you know as when we were born. You know, I mean, <laughs> we were always competing, always best friends, always trying to outdo one another. I got a 
brother now who's running a uh, gym or a, a training gym for high school athletes. And so we're still doing the same thing. Man. You know, we're, we're competing and none of my brothers ever pity me or say I can't do it. In fact, they're the first ones to make fun of me when, when something happens, whether I fall out of my wheelchair or I'm having trouble lifting a tire. They're the first ones to make fun of me. I mean, they know what I can do. It's all in, in uh, good. Uh, but yeah, they're the first ones to make sure everybody knows that I can do whatever I want. So in your video, man, you you have a, oh, I think you posted it even on Instagram, man, that's watching you at work, lifting tires, using a dolly and a wheelchair. I'm like, dude, this guy is like, how do you think about how to manipulate everything in your life to make it work? You know, honestly, the, the biggest thing that I have going for me is I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to totally mess up on stuff. And I do all the time because I'm not afraid to give it a try. You, you're saying I manipulate a dolly. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically a giant claw machine that picks up a whole stack of tires and then you're able to move it. I mean, that took me, I, I don't have the weight to do one of those. I don't have the height. I don't have anything that should make that possible. But one step at a time, you figure out how to how to clamp the tires, then you got to figure out how to adjust it. And uh, like everything else in my life, it's it's one step at a time. You take yeah, the problems on one after another. You started kind of your athletic career once you got out of high school running marathons or I don't, what do you call it? Running marathons in a wheelchair? Yeah, yeah running marathons. Yeah, no, I, I was in track in high school, but I wanted a challenge. You know, I'm always looking for another challenge. And so I started doing marathons in college and, and that was fun. <laughs> but I soon realized that marathons weren't a challenge for me. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I get it. It's 26 miles, but especially for a wheelchair racer finishing in under two hours, it, it no longer was a challenge for me. And so I started looking for something harder and I found triathlons. I did a half Ironman, but then one day I found something that I haven't conquered yet. And that's the Spartan races. These Spartan races, I, I saw the video for the first time. And I mean, these dudes are, are climbing hills. And I'm not talking like on the road. I am talking like bushwhacking off-road over, you know, crazy trails. And then they're not only that, they're lifting tires, sandbags, climbing ropes, and, you know, and, and jumping fire. And I looked at this video and I'm like, what the heck? There is no possible way that I would ever be able to do this race. I mean, that was my first thought at least. So you're like, there's no way I'm going to do this race. Let's go do it. And that's exactly what happened, dude, because it looked impossible. And my whole life, I've had people, not my mom or dad or anything, but I've had people tell me what's impossible possible. Everybody wants to tell the legless guy what he can and can't do. Like your and basketball so, coach. And so when I just, when I told myself that it was impossible, oh, you better believe I was the one saying, oh, shoot, let's do it. Tell me about, like, how did your mindset go? Because you had never seen it other than on video, right? Oh, yeah. I'd never seen it. I had no clue what to expect. In fact, I thought I'd get a mile and a half in and wouldn't be able to do anything. So I started training right away. I knew it would be a lot of walking on my hands. Because I've seen the video. 
you got to tell people what it looked like. Honestly, what was that process like? So, well, I mean, the, these courses, uh, you can't, you can kind of take a wheelchair, which I have an off-road or I do now, but they, especially for my everyday wheelchair, it just wasn't going to work. And so I got off my chair and did, well, you can call it a scoop, where I, I scoop my butt forward and then, you know, walk with my hands. And, and I was thinking about it a year or two ago when I was writing my book. It takes a significant amount of energy to do that scoot. Legs are made for running. Legs are made for going. But arms are not made no. <laughs> for what I use them for. I mean, in no way, shape, or form are arms meant to do what I do with them. So I had to figure this thing out. And so I started training. I got in the field, and I just did laps back and forth and back and forth to try to get my arms uh, up to snuff. And eventually I did that race and it was hard. I, I about died at the end of that three mile little course. But, uh, as I was driving home, you know, my wife says, well, that was fun. <laughs> Check that off your bucket list. I'm like, you know what? I want to do the next one. You did the sprint and then it goes to the, man, we've done all of, we drive the trifecta. So the sprint, <laughs> super. the super, the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So you went and did the, you did the next one, which is five miles. Uh, more like eight miles. Okay. Yeah, the super is more like eight miles. Yeah, and uh, I finished that one. So I knew I knew I needed to do the beast. I knew I needed to do a trifecta. See, and, people are uh, listening to you. See, people are hearing you. Are like, I don't need to do the beast. Like, I've done <laughs> it. I proved it. I've shown people I can do this. Like, I'm done. But man, you got this like this redheaded thing going where you are just relentless, and I love it, man. Well, you know, I mean, in my life, you know, there's all these impossible things, and I I want to find out what my impossible is. I'm, I want to find out what could truly be the limit for me. And right now I haven't found it. I mean, I've found things that I need to train more at. You know, I tried to do an ultra and I couldn't make it. How far well, is the ultra? All ultra is 30 miles. In 30 miles. In, a, in one day, yeah. Come on, so, man. I mean, my goal is to do an ultra and I haven't got there yet, but uh, there's there's no way that I'm going to stop training and, and uh, stop that from being my goal to complete an ultra. Now, you started an ultra, right? Yeah, I, I went to Iceland, 24-hour Spartan race, and that I was attempting the ultra in that race. But unfortunately, I only made it uh, around 18 miles before I, I couldn't continue. Yeah, listen to you. I only went 18 miles in Iceland. <laughs> Come on, man. So talk to me like, I know there's points in your mind, brother, that you're, Casey, where you're thinking, I just, man, what am I doing this for? I don't have to do it. There's nothing to prove. I, I have no legs. I'm here. But what, where does this mindset go? How do you find this mental toughness to just power through it? Well, one of the biggest things in my life has always been to make the decision before I ever attempt. You know, I mean, if I'm going to do something, I have a goal in mind. When I started the Spartan race, my goal was to finish the race. When I started the Beast, my goal was to finish the Beast. And I got to a point in that first Beast where I was, I was brain locked. I was hurting so bad. I mean, I didn't know how I could finish the race. It was still two, three miles out. I didn't know where the finish line was, but I did know that I could take one more step. And that's what, I mean, that's all I could think about. I couldn't even think about getting to the next hill. All I could think about was taking one more step. And, and so many times in my life, you know, these challenges arise and they come and, and things are hard and things, 
you know, it seems impossible and you can't see the end, just like that race. But just like that race, I know I can take one more step. I may slide back five steps, but I know I've already taken those steps, so I'll do it again. Man, that is, I love it. So what do you think about when you see the people cramping up on the side, the ones that are getting lifted off the mountain, the ones that just say, I'm out? What do you, like, where does your mind go? Do you think something like, oh, man, or do you just, just you're, you don't even focus on that? Because I know you do. Oh, no, I, I don't race for myself anymore. I mean, I have goals. I have plans. You know, I want to accomplish my own. But honestly, when I'm out there, I'm out there for those people. Because I've had so many people say, hey, I was done. I was quitting. I was waiting for them to come pick me up. And then I saw you and I finished the race. And so, you know, I know there's a higher purpose for me. It's no longer about me anymore. You know, it's about who I can affect and who I can basically change their lives. And so when I see somebody hurting, when I see somebody doubled over in pain, I have the utmost sympathy and I go and offer whatever words I can to them because I know they can do it. And, and then I just have to prove to them that they know they can do it too. Man, do you get that? You have to be able to get in these guys' head. If I'm ready to quit and I see you go, I'm like, all right. Well, I mean, I've done the worst. I've felt the worst. I've had, I mean, during that beast race in the middle of nowhere, I mean, nobody was around me. Nobody was offering me encouragement. My water was gone. My food was gone. I was exhausted. I mean, I was depressed. I didn't know how that could happen during a sporting event, but I got depressed. My shoulders were on fire. I mean, at this point in the race, I couldn't even feel my legs. I mean, it was bad. So why did you, why did you just stop? Uh, I couldn't. I knew I could take one more step, so I did. And, and every step put a cloud of dust in my face. But I knew, I knew that I was going to take one more step because the only other option was to quit. And that was an option. I mean, it's always an option. I have a dozen challenges in my life. I could quit work because it's not an easy job. I could quit trying to be a motivational speaker because I am not good at the business side. Well, heck, I could quit being a husband and a father and just leave. But I know that once you quit, it is really easy to keep on quitting. And so the one thing in my life that I I don't do or I, I won't do is I won't quit. You know, I might have to reevaluate and change how I'm doing stuff, but no matter how hard things get, the only thing that I can't do is quit. The most impressive picture I've ever seen from you, man, is your, I don't know what race you're on, but you're at the top of the hill looking down. And I'm describing this for the audience. And you have a rope in your hand that is attached to your wheelchair. It's muddy. There's a sandbag on the wheelchair. And you are dragging that wheelchair up to you. And then you got to hobble back down and then pull it again. And you just continuously repeat the process, man. And I look at that. man. I get empowered by men like you that just relentless and they have grit. And I just hope that this can this pays off to other men and women who are hearing you talk, man, that they can say, if, if Casey can do it with no legs, okay, I can I can just do hard things. There you so, go. That's that's a great way to wrap it up. Uh, I can do hard things. If that's your if that's your motto, then there's nothing you're not gonna attempt and nothing you're not gonna succeed at. 
All right, man. So I, so here's what I want to do. I want to be able to have send people to you. I know that you're a phenomenal motivational speaker. COVID's kind of changed a little bit of that, but it will pick up. So if I want you to come to my school, if I want you to come to my organization, my business, what is the best way to link up with you? Uh, the best way is uh, through my website, riseupwithkc.com, or uh, through my Instagram. You can uh, message me through there. Uh, both ways are uh, great ways to get a hold of me. And uh, I'm trying, I mean, yeah, COVID has totally screwed everything up, but I'm out there trying to change lives. So I don't care if it's five people that you want me to speak to or a whole entire school. I, I'm out here to change lives. So let's do it. Man, you are. I, I can't wait till I cross your path, man, on, on a venture race. I'm telling you, man. I am so proud to be your friend. I'm proud to know you. And so please go contact this guy. Invite him to your school. Invite him to your business. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I'm here with Casey McAllister. Thank you, man. And I appreciate your time, brother. Absolutely. Rise up, man. Rise up. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.